0: Now, if you would, uh, please look with me to uh, Mark chapter 4. We're continuing our look in Mark's gospel, moving right along here now uh, into chapter 4. And we will consider uh, the first of uh, several uh, parables that Jesus uh, speaks to the people here in this section of Scripture. So please look with with me at verse 1 of chapter 4, and I will read through to verse 20. Again, he, uh, Jesus, began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, And produce grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but to those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and then they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning, and we pray that your word would not fall on deaf ears or hard hearts, but that you would soften our hearts, that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts that would beat after you, that would accept you, that would accept your word and your message. We pray that you would be gracious to us in this way this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. When my family, uh, many of you know we were born, I was born and raised in Iowa. We moved to Springfield, Missouri when I was in high school. One of the first things we noticed when we moved here and my parents especially noticed is how rocky uh, the ground is and the soil is here. Uh, My parents both grew up in the country. My mom grew up on a farm in Iowa. So they were used to that rich Iowa soil and, and all the crop fields there. So we noticed how rocky the ground was here. And having good soil is just so important, and that's why this parable can be so impactful, and why parables in general are so important, how they, they reach us where we are, because that's, that's what they do. They, they take something that we know, that we recognize, that's common to us, and they use that to compare uh, to something that is more obscure, something that we might not know. That's what the, the word parable means. It, it means to, to throw something alongside something else in order to compare the two things. And that's what Jesus is doing here in this parable, in this introduction of sorts to all the parables, which is why he'll say in in verse 13, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand any of the parables? That's because this parable tells us and shows us what we must have, what we must know, what, what must happen to us in order for us to understand the truth about God's kingdom, about Jesus as Messiah, about all of these things. That's what we see in these different kinds of soil and the seeds that that grow in them. It's something we can all wrap our heads around. We understand what what good soil looks like from the the farmer's crops all the way down to the the house plant. Uh, We know that good soil is important. And this is true of our spiritual lives. This is the, the big point of this parable That we cannot expect any kind of spiritual growth apart from the Word of God firmly planted within us. We can achieve a lot of different things in life apart from God's Word if we want to. We could do that. We could achieve riches. We could fulfill and, and pursue all the desires of the world. But what truly matters, what we truly need, is not something we can find anywhere else but in God's word, it's in Christ, with him at the center. That's what we truly need. So I want to look through each of these four different types of soil. I want to work through them in order. But I want to start first right at the middle of this section that we read. You might have already noticed how there's there's two halves to this section. The first is the parable itself, and then the second half of this passage is Jesus explaining Uh, that parable to his disciples. But right here in the middle, in verse 12, Jesus quotes from Isaiah chapter 6. And he says that he is speaking in parables in part so that the secret of the kingdom of God is kept hidden. And quoting from Isaiah now, he says, that they may indeed see but not perceive, they may indeed hear but not understand, lest they turn in repentance and be forgiven. That can sound very harsh at, at first glance. And not only that, but it, it seems contrary to everything that Jesus has already been saying so far. He's, he's come on the scene and he's been proclaiming. He says, The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That was his message. And we, we've looked at that. We've considered it from the very beginning. Did he not want people to repent and believe in the gospel? He's the one proclaiming the kingdom, but now it seems at first glance, that he's wanting to keep this kingdom hidden or secret. So what's going on here? You see, Jesus, he's not contradicting himself. But rather, he's telling us and he's showing us what is true of our human condition. And that is, exactly what all the prophets, what Isaiah himself is, is prophesying in this section, this, this judgment against God's very own people who have abandoned their God, who have hardened their hearts, who have turned from him. And now we have God's greatest prophet, his very own son here, the eternal son of God is here, the Messiah himself. And we have seen already only in the first three chapters, and now we're in chapter four, we've seen the state of the spiritual lives of the people of Israel, and the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and the scribes, and, and everyone, their spiritual blindness. They have eyes, but they can't see, they can't perceive. They have ears, but they're not hearing, they're not listening to God's word. And the parables, then, they serve this purpose. They proclaim the truth of God's kingdom but only to those who have the spiritual sight to see them and the spiritual ears to hear. But to those who have hardened their hearts, whose eyes are blind because of their own sin, because of the hardness and the, the stiff neck nature of the people, the message of the kingdom will fall on deaf ears. And right away then we see the importance of salvation that is achieved by God alone. We see how God alone, He is King and He is Lord over our salvation. He is the one who is able to soften our hearts, who is able to give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear. And thanks be to God then that we have been given that new birth, that regeneration, that we're able to receive His word and that it does bear fruit in our lives. And that leads us then right into the first of these four soils. Because the first soil, it shows us exactly what it means to have deaf ears, to have blind eyes. Exactly what it is that God's prophet Isaiah and all the prophets have been prophesying against. This first soil then we see is this hardened path. Verse 4, in the first place Jesus says that the sower, he goes out, he's sowing the word. That's what he's doing. And some of that seed that God is sowing, some of the word, it falls on the hardened path. It fell along the road. And as it laid there, it had, had nowhere to go. There was no possibility for any of the seed to take root. Because the path was completely solid. It couldn't break through. It was just food then for the birds to come and eat. Verse 15, Jesus gives the explanation. He says, Satan is the one who comes. He snatches the word away just as soon as it lands. In the parallel accounts in, in Matthew 13 and Luke chapter 8... It says that it's the devil or it's the evil one, the one that's doing this this snatching. The point is that the the seed has nowhere to go. It has fallen on the hardened path. And this is the state that God's people are in. This is the state that we all find ourselves in. This is what the prophet Ezekiel, he refers to as, as hearts of stone. These, these hearts of stone that God needs to, to rip out, as it were. He needs to replace them with a heart of flesh, a heart that, that can truly beat after God, to, to love Him, has affections for Him. This is what God must do until we are softened, until God does the work of softening our hearts, of softening that hard path, of doing the work of cultivating and tilling the ground. That's the work of God Himself. Until that happens, the Word cannot penetrate. In fact, it's, it's futile. And what we see right away then in this parable is the absolute sovereignty of God over our salvation. That those who are blind by sin, they don't have the eyes to see or the ears to hear. Their hearts are hardened and when the word comes just as quickly as it's sown, it's snatched away. Because there's nowhere for it to take root. But God is the one who is able to soften our hard hearts. He's the one who's able to till that fallow ground. To make it good and usable soil that receives his word and bears fruit. God is the one who is able to do this. If not for his grace, we would be lost. That's the first soil. That's the first possible response to the good news of the gospel. But next, Jesus addresses a different group of people. A different response to the gospel. And this is the the rocky ground in verses 5 and 6. We we're told that this is, this is the rocky Missouri soil. This is what it is. It doesn't have much depth to the soil. So when the seeds are sown, they spring up quickly, but they have no room. The, the roots have nowhere to go to spread deep. has no way to sustain itself. So when the sun comes in and scorches the plants, they wither. They wither under the heat. Jesus says in verse 16 and 17 that this is analogous to those who at first received the word with joy, but it's when the tribulations, when the persecutions come, when their faith is tested, hot and bright like the sun, they too uh, wither under the heat. This is the appearance of saving faith without the substance. And this is true. This is true of both this and the The second type of soil and the third that we'll see in a moment. There's this initial response to God's word, but in the refiner's fire, their faith is proven to not be genuine. If at once a profession of faith was made, it was not a true profession for the person was not truly a believer in Christ. In John's gospel, Jesus says that he is the good shepherd and that he loses none that belong to him. But there are those, unfortunately, sadly, those who will claim the name of Jesus, but do not truly belong to him. And this type of soil refers to that. Unfortunately, we, we know what that looks like. That's sad. It's, it's unfortunate. We know that every person, every, every person needs Jesus. That's what every person needs. That, that's everything that you need. But we know that some have walked away from the faith who once were professing their faith. They've they've walked away from that faith. Even family members we know. And we pray for them. And we, we seek the Lord on their behalf. We do so confidently. We do so knowing that He hears us because He is the one who can soften even the hardest of hearts. And we pray for them. We seek the Lord on their behalf. This is also why... And our services, our services are so word-oriented. They're, they're word-centered. Because that's actually all that we have to work with. That's the only thing that we have to offer. The sower so goes out, and what does he sow? He's sowing the word. And that's all we have. We, we're not trying to be fancy. We want to do things well. We want to do things in a pleasing way, of course. But we're here for the substance. And we can't let any kind of desire or any kind of uh, desire to hit whatever it might be, metrics or numbers or uh, to to work up any kind of emotional reaction or anything like that, that, that will be meaningless apart from this true substance of God's Word. We see clearly right here, we see clearly that massive revivals can happen without them being genuine conversions that lead to lasting and saving faith. We see that there can be an appearance of many decisions made for Christ on a Sunday that can turn out to be nothing more than just shoots springing up in shallow, rocky soil that have no deep roots to withstand the pressures of the world. So we we're told this very plainly right here, that this is an, oppor- this is an example, this is, this is something that can happen. Why would we expect anything different? But rather, we keep focusing on the word. We keep focusing on what God has given us. He alone is the one who is able to cause the growth. He is the one alone who is able to take that word. He sends his word forth and his word does not return empty. Does not return void. So we've had the hardened soil. We've seen the rocky soil. And now we're given a third example of this kind of unbelief and this response to God's word. Jesus says in verse 7 that some of the seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew and they, they choked out the seed before it bore any fruit. And what are these thorns that can choke out the gospel in your life? Jesus says in verse 17, he says that they are the cares of the world. Sorry, verse 19 rather. They are the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. Those are the things that enter in. Those are the thorns that can choke out God's word. And so here again we see we have a profession of faith, but instead of uh, the fierce persecution that withers the planet, it's the worldly desires that disproves their genuine faith. And it's this third type of soil that I think is the, the largest warning for us here in the American church, broadly speaking. Because of the wonderful blessings and riches that we have in this life, we are in danger of letting them choke away our faith. There are so many things in this world that we can care about more than Christ. There are so many things, so many desires, so many cares. Notice how Jesus describes them though. He describes them as deceitful. These riches are deceitful riches. How are they deceitful? It's because riches and wealth, they always overpromise. They promise things that they can never deliver. Wealth can promise you satisfaction. It can promise you happiness and peace in your life. It can promise you joy, but it can't truly deliver on any of those things. Only Christ can. Like the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, we too, we can grow attached to our belongings. And that was this man's trouble in Mark chapter 10. Lord willing, we'll get there someday. But he was storing up treasures on earth and Jesus told him that he needed to be storing up treasures in heaven. He needed to go and sell all of his belongings to the poor. Why did he need to do that? Because his wealth had become such an idol in his life that it was going to keep him from the kingdom of God. Wealth, material possessions, all these things, they can all become weeds and thorns that will choke out the gospel. All idols do this. All of our sins do this. It was uh, John Owen who, who famously said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. It's a horrible danger. We can think our our pet sin or whatever we think might be small now. Of course it might be small now, but if we don't choke it out, it'll grow bigger and it'll eventually come to choke us. This is what this soil represents. It's the life that is content to have our little portion of Jesus, our little bit of Jesus, along with all of our worldly pleasures. But the shovel of worldly pleasures, have dug many spiritual graves. And like the frog in the boiling pot, we don't always notice it. It's a slow death. It doesn't happen in an instant. The weeds and the thorns, they take time. They grow up along with the seed. All the more reason then to pluck out the weeds as they first begin to grow before their roots have time to grow deep. This is the danger of letting the weeds of sin, the desires of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, these things to grow up with the word in our lives. We cannot let that happen. So what does that look like? What does that mean? What is Jesus telling us here to do? Well, I don't think it means that we take a vow of poverty. Maybe, possibly, if you're in the case of the rich young ruler, where it becomes such an idol in his life. But it does mean that we need to reorient ourselves toward God's desires. To keep Christ at the center. It does not mean that we can never enjoy the good things of this world. God gave us wonderful things in this life to enjoy. But it means centering all of them around Christ. It means having our eyes fixed on Christ when we make our decisions especially with, with finances, understanding that everything that we have, we, we don't truly own it. Now, it's not ours. We brought none of it with us when we came into the world. We'll take none of it with us when we leave. We're not owners of it, but we're stewards and stewarding that well. And if it's true that we take nothing with us and all the more reason to be storing up treasures, not in this life, but in the place where we are going, our, our true home. And thinking of this, and it's always, uh, well, I just think of all the things that I've regretted in my life, and I'm only 31, so unless the Lord returns uh, tonight or tomorrow, I know I'll have plenty more regrets. Um, But there's so many things I I wish I could go back and uh, redo, and I know we all feel that way. So I think of all the many regrets that I have, but I know I've never regretted, I've never regretted any of the times that I've obeyed Christ. I've never regretted any of the times that I've put him first and kept him at the center. My only regret is that I don't do that more, and I haven't always done it well. But thankfully, I know this to be true. Thankfully, God is the one who has worked in me. He's the one at work in you. He's the one cultivating that soil, removing the rocks, cultivating it, making it good and usable, ready to receive his word. That's this last soil. That's the last thing we'll look at this morning. Finally, Jesus returns to this fourth type of soil where the word is sown and it produces yields of 30, 60, and 100 times. And this soil, Jesus says, verse 20, represents the ones who hear the word, and accept the word, and then they bear fruit. They hear, accept, and then they bear fruit in that order. That's what marks good soil. They hear God's word, they accept God's word, and then they bear good fruit in accordance with God's word. All three of those things are necessary, but we also must keep all three of those things in their proper order. Paul says in Romans ten seventeen that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith comes first by hearing God's word. And that's why God gave us his word, why he entrusted it to the apostles to go out into all the world, proclaiming the kingdom of God, spreading the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And here we are today, 2,000 years later, with this very word, hearing God's word again. Not just in the sermon, but in every part of the service, the whole counsel of God. This is the first, this is the necessary step. But the good soil not only hears the word, you'll notice the hardened path, they heard the word as well, but it was snatched from them. The the good soil hears the word and accepts it. And that's faith. Accepting the word as truth. The message of salvation for you today is that you're a sinner, but Christ has saved you from all of your sins. And if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you all of your sins, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's the message. Do you accept it? Do you believe it? Are you receiving it as good news for you today? And only from that faith is there any fruit to be found. And this is important. We know that faith without works is dead. That is because truth faith will, truth faith does produce good works. Not because our good works are a requirement for that faith or for our salvation. The life full of good works are the fruit and evidence of saving faith. This is what Jesus says here. The faith that accepts God's word will produce abundant fruit, just like seed that is sown into good soil. So those are the four types of soil. Those four types of soil, those are four responses to the gospel, to the word of God. So what is your response to God's word today? That's the question that this parable is posing to us. What is our response to God's word today? It's an important question to ask. It's the most important question we could ever ask. Let's end then with a couple of points of application that will help us as we ask and answer this question. One point of application is that we should find comfort and not despair in this parable. I want to make sure that's said. There's warning, yes, there's warning in this parable, but we should find comfort, not despair. Warning, but not despair. For many of us, myself included, we can think, well, who can be saved? We can think, am I saved or am I one of these other soils? Because we know our own responses, they're not always perfect. The answer to that question is, have you believed in Christ? Have you accepted Christ? Have you accepted his word? Then you can be certain that you're saved. But you can say, I don't see this fruit in my life. I don't see a hundredfold, let alone 60 or 30. Don't put the cart before the horse. Remember the order. You hear, you accept, then the word bears fruit in your life. If you have believed in Christ, then you can, uh, and you are, and you will bear fruit. One thing I love about this parable is Jesus, he gives different amounts of the abundance of fruit that are produced. Not every single plot produces the exact same, some 100 times, some 60, some 30, all of which are incredible yields. So that's the first point of application, is is not to despair. This is not a reason to despair, not a reason to compare your 30-fold to the 100-fold sitting next to you in the pew. And also to remember that this is a process of a lifetime. This yield was produced over a life of God working in you. Not a month, not a year, a lifetime. So maybe you don't feel like you're even producing 30. Maybe it feels like less, like nothing at all. And if you feel that way, then take a closer look at yourself. Specifically ask yourself, is there the, the, the desire for Christ? Is there a love and an affection for Him? That is the beginning of good fruit. That is the beginning of God's Word bearing fruit in your life. That's the first thing. Second point of application is related. We'll end with this. It might sound contrary to what I just said, but the second point of application It's to not look at yourself. I just said to look at yourself, but the second point is to not look at yourself. You can examine your heart, look inward for that fruit. Yes, that's important. You can do that, but never stay there. Don't stay there. Robert Murray McShane, wonderful Scottish minister in the 19th century. He lived to be only 29 years old, but he bore much fruit in his life in those 29 years. And he was writing to a friend who was struggling with despair. He said to him, he said this, For every look at yourself, take ten looks to Christ. For every one look where you're looking inward, make sure you're taking at least ten looks outward to Christ. And that's what we must do as well. We cannot let, let our own lack of growth or anything like that to lead us into despair, but to look to Christ He is the one. He is the one who is at work in us. Look to Christ who has forgiven all of our sins. Forgiven all the times that we have doubted or despaired. Forgiven all the times that we have let the weeds of the worldly desires and the deceitfulness of riches in our lives. When we would let them grow, He's the one who's forgiven all of them. Yes, truly, even when we were dead in sin, like a hardened path with hard hearts, and stiff necks. He has made us alive in him. He's given us new hearts. He's given us eyes to see, ears to hear, that we receive his word. And so look to Christ. Look to him. He has sown the word in your heart. He has sown it. And he who has begun that good work in you, he will bring it to completion. Look to Christ. Let's pray.